Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corn Rose Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Always want to hear from you, get your feedback. Uh, just let me know what you think, like, dislike, uh, always doing this for you guys. So let me know. Uh, also, pretty cool milestone today. Uh, this is my, I, I just like got a notification today. This is my one year anniversary working at Indy Corners, running the pod. So kind of, uh, kind of cool. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. It's also weird because I got hired the day after Rudy Gobert tested positive. Um, so that's always interesting to think about. But in more exciting things, uh, the Pacers play the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow. Or I guess you'll probably be listening to this tomorrow morning. So today, uh, really stoked to be joined by a friend of mine, Matt Brooks, one of my favorite people to talk basketball with uh, from over at Nets Daily, also runs. Uh, I apologize. I thought that I had your the name for your pod written down, but I know Dude, Matt. Matt, a, Matt podcast, podcast, don't even yes. mention it because I'm. Oh, <laughs> oh it's, it's done? It's a, Yeah, we're done. Oh, this shit. Year. Okay. If there's one thing redacted, we got. Redacted, redacted podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but Matt, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining I'm great, man. Uh, it's good to talk to you. It's it's uh, it's been a it's been a fun year, a busy year, but a fun year. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to talk um, just about this upcoming game. This has been a fun week of like games that mean a little bit extra. Just seeing Karis again, I think that'll be really fun. So I'm sure we'll we'll get into that. But I'm good. I'm excited for this week. Definitely, man. Yeah, I mean, like you're talking about with just having fun in general. Um, I don't know how how long have you been on the beat, like covering Brooklyn, or more importantly, just like watching Brooklyn or being around them. Uh, we're on year three right now. Okay. So I did it the first year. Uh, I did it for a website called Elite Sports New York. Um, just kind of figured out what I wanted to do, which was kind of more film um, oriented in that way. And then year two got picked up by Nets Daily, continue to do film stuff. Year three comes along. This is when I'm starting to get in on the, you know, whatever the Zoom calls and everything like that. So um, yeah, this is year three, I guess, which is cool. It it I, it feels like I'm I'm still like new to it though, yeah. just in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, like I was saying, it's been one year for me, and I'm like, well, I just started yesterday. But yep. it, I mean, part of that's just this is like the uh, the endless year from hell, so it's very difficult to think otherwise. Yep. But um, <laughs> no, I mean that brings up a great point too because it's it's really funny going back and looking at some of this stuff. Like I wrote a a piece on Thad Young earlier this year, and I went back and I watched a bunch of old Brooklyn games when he was there. Uh, I, I, I don't know how much you remember about that team. They were not good. Um, no. that was like, I think, I don't think Mozgov was on the team at that time. He might've been for a hot second. Um, I, I but just like Sean Kilpatrick was scoring 14 points per game oh, on yeah. that team. Like the OG bucket <laughs> getter for like 30 games. Yep. Um, it's just kind of wild to look back and see how much Brooklyn's changed since I was in like, when we were in high school. I mean, like 13, yep. uh, you see that team with the, uh, the, the, big, big age three. Um, and the way that everything changes out with that. Uh, so what has it been like having this kind of transition? Cause you're like, I mean, obviously your first year, that's the com completely different team. The first round, right. uh, Kenny Atkinson kind of grit and grind team in a way. Um, it obviously things have totally changed up over last year, but now this year, um, completely different basketball and, and on and off court presence as well. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of funny how much it's it's changed. Um, you know, that that second year, that second year was really long. I mean, yeah. that's that's how I would describe that year. Not not literally, I mean, literally it was really long. <laughs> but yeah. but the the team itself was such a vast change from the team the first year I covered them. You know, that team, that Brooklyn team, it was like them and the Kings that year were two of the most fun teams in the league to watch. Mm-hmm. Um last year it it just I, it was it was a it was really a drag at certain points and this year it's nice i mean not only are they really good but they play a brand of basketball that i think night to night is really enjoyable um and i think it just in a lot of ways it kind of goes against the expectations um you know and i think not to say like the nets are nobody thought the nets were going to be going to be good on offense and okay on defense because i think everybody saw that coming but just the roles and everything like that and it's been a fun year i think even in terms of like some of the you know, the, the, the lower rung characters, if you want to call it that the Bruce Browns, the Nicholas Claxton's, you're still getting those like mini developmental stories that I think you get really excited about when you're covering a young team. And I think because of that, that's made this year extra exciting. It gives you that little extra punch along with the superstardom. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. And I, I remember when the Bruce Brown trade happened um, and talked to my guy, James Edwards, who covers the, the, the team, uh, who covers the Pistons over at the athletic, um, I understand why Bruce Brown was traded. The uh, what the return less understandable. <laughs> um, but as soon as the trade happened, I was like, "This is going to be huge for Brooklyn." And more importantly, um, I just—I mean, anybody who knows me uh, really well can—I get way too excited about tenth men. Um, and Bruce has been more than that. But uh, I mean, immediately I was like, "People are going to actually know who Bruce Brown is, and this is awesome for him because he's a great, dude." Um, it, from everything I know, just fantastic to be around in the locker room. Um, what he's done for Brooklyn has been fantastic. What were your expectations for him coming in? And uh, how has that kind of changed up a little bit? Because I know you have a pretty good all like around the league knowledge, but uh, if, if you have like a pretty good. Not this year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, dude, Not this me. year. <laughs> I watch like so much and I still feel like I know so little. Like it's... every game is just like a whole different can of worms because you don't know who the fuck's playing. You yep. have no idea who's out or why, and it's just yeah. But Bruce Brown has been a consistent staple for the Nets this year, and I, I've really enjoyed watching him uh, grow into like the best six foot five role man in the league. Yeah, very weird. Um, I I didn't see that coming, and I think that that's one of those really fun stories where if he continues to succeed, you can kind of you can kind of just see other teams trying that um, and just saying, hey, like you know the way that Brooklyn used their six, five guard that can't really shoot. I mean, he, he's made a couple corner threes, but realistically he's not a yeah. threat. He's not somebody that's going to force a hard closeout. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a really cool story. And as I said, just a really fun year, you have a lot of weirdness. Like, you know, even if you want to say the quote that has been ran into the ground, if I have to hear about that, he's a point guard, I'm a shooting guard quote one more time. Yeah. I swear I'm going to cover hockey or something like that. But <laughs> but I mean, seriously, like even that is like a fascinating thing. So Bruce just being used in a way that I think has really unlocked him and made a lot of use of his spatial awareness, um, his ability to just kind of find crevices that I think is just pretty unteachable. And I I could actually see other teams trying to do that with their non-shooting players and not having the same level of success. Um, It's a fun story. It's a really cool thing. I just figured it would be a third guard that would come in there and be, a Shaq Harrison or somebody like yeah. that, like somebody, you know, some niche player that comes in, has a couple of good possessions, pull them because you're not getting enough offense. It's it's a really fascinating story. Yeah, no, it's been really cool to see how that's uh, kind of progressed. And I think 
that kind of leads to my next point too. What have you thought of Steve Nash as a coach this year? Because I think that's uh, that, uh, I mean, the Pacers have a new coach this year as well. So it's been interesting trying to tinker with how to evaluate that. I wrote something on that last week and it's like, even with all of the data that we have, I, I still am not really sure like how to, um, how to wrap my head around how things are being ran. But like, what have you thought of Steve Nash? Cause overall, like I've, uh, I've liked a lot of the stuff that they're running on court. And more importantly, I just, it sounds cliche, but I enjoy the vibe of the team. Like, I think you can look at teams like this. Like I, like the first year of the Heatles was terrible. Yep. Um, obviously on court and, and also off court, like they just, it, it didn't seem like they meshed super well outside of the big three. Obviously you had Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers was there for a long time, but uh, that, that was, I, I don't know how much you remember about Mario Chalmers in, in Miami. Uh, him and LeBron were not that good of friends. No. Um, no. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what? so what have you thought of Steve so far and what he's brought? I, I think he's been really good. I honestly, like, the first couple of weeks, it was like, oh, boy. Like, this guy, he doesn't know when to, to call timeouts. It was just kind of – he was being thrown in there. He was yeah. being thrown in with the Wolves. And um, I think that was a little bit jarring, figuring out rotations, who should play where. I mean, every team's kind of going through this at, at that point. Um, especially for a team like Brooklyn, where there's just no continuity. Um, it's It was a tricky spot for him to be in. Since then, as you said, I, I really like how they've stripped down the offense, not to just be like, hey, we're going to spam pick and rolls and have no secondary action on the other side of the floor. They have certain things that they like to run. They're not overly complex, but they mix, you know, mix them in, play off you know, the defense's expectations, I guess. And I think that's a really smart way to play. I also, a low key thing that I, I really enjoy is that they, you know, fit their starting lineups to the opponent. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a really good sign. And I don't know if it's going to be something that really, really matters in the long run, but it does show a sense of, we want to adjust. Like we're going to be a team that adjusts, which is important, obviously for the playoffs. Um, I, I think that's a good sign. And there are certain games that point to that. The Suns game, for example, um, they, you know, it was a, a game where they were down deep and they start running inverted pick and rolls with Jeff green ball handling, kind of what we saw in the bubble with Houston mm -hmm. and really targeted just to, to bring Deandre Ayton out there, uh, which is a different story for a different day and, and make him guard the perimeter a little bit. I, I just, there's a good vibe about it. It seems like they just have a sense of, we know who we are and what we want to do. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think, um, like so much gets made out of like, oh, well, all this complex stuff has to be run. But at the same time, I think you look at it and like you're mentioning, I mean, you have you have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Kevin's missed a, a ton of time recently. And I think he's still another week or two away. Um, but more importantly, I mean, he, he gets brought up, but not nearly as much like Joe Harris, I think, is what really unlocks mm. everything for Brooklyn. Like uh, Joe Harris, just insanely good, probably the best catch and shoot player in the league um, and just shooter in general like what he can do off movement and more importantly he doesn't get you killed on defense either he can hold his own um there are obviously some matchups you don't really want him in but overall i mean like i, I still think the the most lethal action in basketball right now has to be james harden um james harden and and joe harris running their two-man game joe harris in a pick and pop off of a james harden drive is just like insane and it, I'm already seeing how teams have no idea how to defend it because if, if, if Joe Harris and James Harden are running something, Kyrie's on the weak side and he's your open shooter. If you tag. Yep. And like same thing too, if, if you're, if there's some kind of action between James and KD or, or James and Kyrie, uh, cause they have been doing a lot of guard to guard stuff, which I've liked. Um, yep. 
then Joe Harris is open on the wing. And it's like, yep. uh, there's so much open stuff. And also too, I mean, like you have, sorry, I'm getting like really in the weeds, but I just love it. No, 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 um, no. This is, this is my, then this you is have, my, uh, this I mean, my dojo it, right here. <laughs> as much as people dish on Deandre, I mean, I've actually thought he's been pretty good this year after starting off pretty slow. I agree. Um, like probably the first 10 games, but now, I mean, him and Nick Claxton just in the dunker spot, like you, you simplify everything so much because you're, they're just playing off the gravity that everyone has on the offensive end and it opens everything up for everyone else in an easy way. And it's just been pretty, pretty damn artful to watch. Yeah, no, it's great. And like, I think the big thing for them is like what you mentioned, Joe Harris, Joe Harris, is the guy that he can, he can put the ball on the floor and it just always feels like even with, you know, Jeff green, for example, Jeff green's been shooting, shooting the hell out of the ball this year. And he, he's another guy, like you, you run him off. He's going to make a play. He's not an a plus passer, but he'll, he'll hit a play out of the short roll. He's not a great lob guy. It's just, it's everybody just kind of can make plays. Even Landry Shamit's doing things now. He's making plays off dribble handoffs. Um, there just seems to be a sense of comfortability. Guys know what they need to do. And it's, it, they're just putting defenses in rotation for like 48 minutes. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like playing basketball in a hurricane. It feels like on the yeah. defensive end against them. Um, it's it's just impressive to watch what okay so I, I guess i would ask too um what is like one thing that that maybe goes under talked about or under noticed when when looking at how the team plays um offensively we'll get to defense in a second but in terms of what they're running offensively um what's something that you think would stand out to people if they had more of a, a little bit more insight or, or in-depth knowledge on it Ooh, that's a good question probably all the elbow stuff they're running mm-hmm. and it's just that that i think is really interesting they've they've come out pretty much since the beginning of the season with a pretty strong preference for running things off split cuts. And there's just a lot of warrior influence there. Um, And then you also have, you know, they're running 21 or pistol, whatever you want to call it. It's an interesting mesh because you look at these two teams in Houston and golden state that met in the conference finals for years and years. It's kind of like a mesh between those two teams. They also have a lot of, you know, seven seconds or less sons. It's a, it's a cool vibe. I, I think that you just get a sense that, everybody's basketball backgrounds, you know, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Nash, Mike D'Antoni. It's, it's like a nice little um, hodgepodge of all that. It's, it's a, it's a cool thing. So I think that's the thing I would suggest. I, I'm, I'm going to try to think a little harder about what, <laughs> what, what another point could be, but that's what comes off the top of my head right now. No, it's a good point. Like I, I, I definitely, I definitely appreciate that. I, I, I think, like looking at things like elbow action is important to like bring up because you wouldn't really think about it in terms of their personnel. Um, like you think more of like what Miami does or even what Indiana does too, and looking at elbow action. So it's a uh, stuff for people to look out for. I think there's like this idea, like I, there's a, I try my best to not like talk about basketball in a reductive way. Cause I think there's so much more to it yep. and not to like shame people who do like, I, I get it. Like national media has to, for the most part, like simplify things because they have so much to talk about. But at the same time, like, I think there's this general perception that all Brooklyn does is run pick and roll, spam pick and roll, like we talked about earlier, and run five out. And that's the way people talk about it. Like, and there was that tendency with Houston last year, too. And I think there was obviously like some a little bit of validity to that. Like they ran a, a shit ton of pick and roll. But yeah. like there was really cool stuff that you could watch. Like I remember one of my favorite games I watched last year. I don't know if you saw it. It was uh one of the like kind of primetime games in the bubble. It was Bucks rockets um yep. and like that was one of the best games I ever watched because at least last year because you had this like 
they were fine. The Bucks were finally starting to run things differently on offense. I think Brooke Lopez went for like 28 and almost everything came in the post for him because they just kept exploiting that mismatch. But then Houston ran, I think it felt like almost every other possession was a side pick and roll, just trying to isolate and force Brooke Lopez to close out. And it's like little things like that. That shit's fun to watch, man. Like yep. when you start realizing, like you get to a point where you can understand and realize what's happening and like, this stuff is impossible to defend. Like, and we're seeing a lot of that now just with side pick and roll with guys who can run DHOs makes it so freaking hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's the nuance of the game that makes it fun to watch. Um, next point I would want to bring up, you, you brought up Landry Shamit. Uh, he was someone who I was, uh, I didn't, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I had high expectations for him coming into the year, but I was hopeful because he has not been great uh, since leaving Philadelphia. He really struggled in, in Los Angeles, did not find a really consistent role there. Um, and he, over the last month, he's been really solid in Brooklyn. Um, what have you liked from him uh, that, that, that you think has kind of improved? Because he started out struggling for the year. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, A, he's he's a good team defender, which is like, I don't know, we don't need to get into, like, he's a good nail helper. Like, we don't need- hey, no, <laughs> we can't. I'm here to be granular. I, it's, it's, it's not. It's yeah. not the first thing that comes out. I'll, I'll give you the, the general answer. The general answer is that he – really maintains a sense of confidence in who he is. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think the thing that I really like about him is, you know, Joe Harris, as, as said, he can shoot the hell out of the ball. could come off motion. He's a little bit bigger, just a little bit bigger Landry Shamit because he's skinnier. He's just finding those extra angles, squeezing around peck, you know, picks that extra inch or so. I think that's a different look for them and they can just run things where he just gets to be a little more acrobatic at almost like that, that sense of skinniness being a, an attribute is I think pretty fascinating. So it's a different look for them. You say on paper, okay, these guys kind of do the same things, but the way they go about doing it is, is different. I think that's what's so fascinating about basketball. You can have two guys take take the exact same shot in terms of how many dribbles there are, the percentage, whatever, but you're not necessarily looking at how they generate those shots and he, he generates them in a different way. Yeah, no, that's a great point to bring up. And especially with like talking about guys just being skinnier, like looking at getting around screens is like one of the most fascinating things to talk about. Because I think you look at like OG Ananobi might be one of the best guys who is like, for lack of better terms, just like thick. Like OG yeah. Ananobi is like made of muscle, like a tree trunk, but he gets around screens really well. But then you have a guy like Giannis, like one of the things that's most frustrating to me, and it came out of a Brooklyn game, uh, was I think there was a, there's there's some nuance that can be had with it like you can talk about okay Giannis could guard KD down the stretch but at the same time he's like probably the best help defender in the NBA yeah um, so there's a reason why he's not guarding Kevin Durant one-on-one but more importantly you, you look at it Giannis is not good at getting around screens believe it or not having like an eight foot seven wingspan is not great <laughs> for getting around picks set by other guys who are massive who would have thought um but it's it's just like little things like that that are again gets lost in the shuffle when you're uh, when you're not talking about it in the weeds a little bit um looking at this team defensively i've started to really like some of the stuff that they're doing again they're not quite there um i think over the last month if i'm looking at it correctly it's 19th in defense which i think is a little bit better than people were expecting yeah um which sounds almost asinine to say but at the same time like i I've, i envision this team a lot like the Cavs when lebron was there yeah um, like they're not going to sell out on defense in the regular season like they're going to obviously um it's not like they're not trying you get what i'm saying but um, yeah what's been different is that they're trying new new things like they're trying to run different things to uh 
to see what works. And I've liked that aspect a lot because we didn't really get that in that same same kind of mindset in Cleveland. Um, obviously, Nick Claxton has been a huge part of that. And I want to talk about Nick Claxton. Let's just start I'm down. Let's just uh, start. <laughs> Brooklyn has really started to switch everything with Nick Claxton on the floor. And it's been fantastic. And there was a possession down the stretch yesterday um, when DeAndre was out and they actually switched and it was terrible. Uh, I think there was like probably 40 seconds left. And luckily for the Nets, RJ missed like a wide open mid ranger, but it was because DeAndre like, gee, I mean, he could not switch out, but he had to yep. because that's what they were doing. Nick Claxton has been a revelation in terms of switching uh, on the perimeter and also just what he brings overall. Um, what have you thought of what they're running defensively and, and how they're starting to kind of tweak things? Yeah. I mean, he just makes a lot of sense because of all the switching they're doing. Um, and I think a big part of that is that they're using Harden in that it's, it's kind of in a lot of ways, the perfect defense for Harden just yes. because he just gets to focus on being that scram switch guy. Um, that has waned in effectiveness a little bit. I didn't love it against Julius Randle yesterday. Yeah. I didn't love it against Vucevic. Sure, those are two guys that are, you know, bullies in a lot of ways. But, you know, I, it's something to watch with that because I don't know what their option is outside of that, I guess, other than Blake, which who knows? That's a question mark. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know. So, but I, I think with Claxton, like, He's an enticing option. I don't think teams have quite figured out. You should probably not try to set up a pick and roll and, and, and isolate against this guy. It just hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, it's, it's just not a viable source of offense. He's actually probably one of their better perimeter defenders. I don't love him against bigger players, and that's mostly just because he hasn't filled out yet. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, I think he's great, and I think he makes a lot of sense for what they're doing. Um, if they're going to be switching this much, even like off ball actions, I think it makes sense to have him, you know, he's, he's switched on to pin downs. He's denied handoffs. It's, it's pretty crazy to watch. I would, I would argue he's probably, probably their what second, maybe be right second best there. perimeter defender. Yeah. I mean, like I, I think right? Bruce is probably the best. <laughs> I would, I would say, yeah. I mean, Bruce is probably the best. Yeah. Uh, he's got to be like right around there. Um, Man, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to think. Pretty weird. But, yeah, no, it's definitely weird to think about. Um, I mean, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up with you too, because you look at um, obviously I, I like better how this team matches up with Milwaukee, um, but you look at Philadelphia um, <laughs> and how well Joel Embiid is playing. And again, like I think it brings up a lot of interesting points uh, because, I mean, you can talk about how hard it's going to be for for Brooklyn to stop Joel Embiid, and then you also have to bring up okay. Well, then they have to stop like probably the greatest offensive trio of all time when you look at Philadelphia. But at the same time, you have to be able to get like just enough stops. And Embiid has been so good in yep. terms of his ability to actually pass out of double teams now. Not like he couldn't last year, but he's really improved on that. Um, and their offense just actually makes sense now that they have like personnel that makes sense. Um, when when you look at that, like in terms of moving forward or, or what the team is doing right now, what do you think about how the team is going to maybe try and handle that? Because you obviously Blake, we have no idea what Blake's going to be. My impression personally, and I'd, I'd love to ask you this as well. I don't like, I'm very hopeful that, that what we saw in, in Detroit is not Blake anymore, but based on everything that I've heard and, and, and gathered, like, it's not that Blake wasn't trying, like he was not, he was not playing defense. We'll be, we'll be real there. Blake was not yeah. playing defense. I think he played about two possessions of defense this year, but um, he just does not have that same pop that he used to have. And that makes sense given everything that he's put his body through. 
Um, I actually have not loved a lot of the discourse that's been around Blake recently because he was so freaking good. Um, yeah. Especially even recently, just like two years ago, his all NBA year with the Pistons. Yeah. But um, like, I still think he can bring things. But overall, I'm not really expecting a lot in terms of what he's going to be able to do. I'm not either. And I think we get so excited about like, well, he can make plays out of the short world. It's like, yeah. But but, what, what else is he doing when he's But there, if right? he like, can't yeah. score at the basket or or have like a, a short mid-range game or whatever, um, teams are going to play him for the pass, which is weird because it's Blake Griffin. It'll all – and I've been saying this really since the signing happened. We'll know in two weeks if he's going to be a real part of this team. And it's probably yeah. going to come down to whether he can shoot. If he's not making those pick-and-pop threes, I don't think he's going to play. I just I, – I don't see who – it's weird. Like even Jeff green, it's like, why would you, why would you play, you know, Blake over Jeff green? If, and this sounds blasphemous, I'm sorry, it does, but no, it's if, true, man. Like you're not wrong. It's I just, I don't know. I mean, it, and maybe I'm, maybe I am undervaluing the ability to, to make those plays in the short role. And I guess that's, that's on me, but for what they do and especially how big they're getting, I mean, there is a trade-off with, bringing in size, bringing in a, let's say like an Andre Drummond, there is an opportunity cost. It's funny. We mentioned Bruce Brown really early on. I just wrote about this last week. I do think if they bring in the Blake Griffins, the Andre Drummonds in the world, the guy that's probably going to lose out the most is Bruce Brown. It's it's just going to lose a couple of those roles per game. Um, Guys are going to help off of, you know, whoever's hanging out in the dunker spot and take away that floater or, or especially the shots at the rim. So I think there's a trade-off. Blake is, is a great example of that. You kind of want to know what he can do pretty quickly because there's only so many games to figure it out. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. And it's, uh, it's one of the interesting things to bring up, like when guys get bought out and start, you know, transferring over to teams, like how do they fit in? And you have to figure it out fast, especially with the trade deadline coming up. Um, Like, I, I mean, do you think that I, I know Brooklyn has been tagged in a lot of stuff in terms of what could happen at the trade deadline, uh, do you have a sense that anything is going to happen or like what, what, what kind of move would you make? Because in my estimation, looking at this team, I think that they'd probably be better without Andre Drummond in some regards. Like I am higher on Andre Drummond than most people. Um, but I just think you look at what they do overall. I don't, I, I think I'd almost rather have the five out spacing or just more importantly, have more mobility and ability to just like, if you have Bruce Brown out there, not that he's better than Andre. Yeah. Like, Andre's still a good player. In, in the right role, I think I should say. Um, but I think you almost – like it's I, – I, again, I don't want to say that you lose by having him out there. But right. it just – at some point, it's more sensible to have Jeff Green out there than Andre Drummond because he's going to space the floor. He's going to be able to pass out of – and, I mean, Andre can as well. But um, oddly enough, Jeff is a better rim threat <laughs> at this point than Andre is, yeah. which is still wild to say. But Well, those post-ups. Those post-ups oh, take God, years yeah, off no, my don't, life. Don't remind me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think right now, uh, you know, and I, and the big thing with Claxton right now is, is on offense. He just, he just doesn't know when to scream and yeah. it's a weird pet peeve thing. You know, he'll, let me he'll, tell you, Andre does not know how to screen either. So, <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's the issue. Um, but I, I don't know. I just feel like it's weird with Deandre. I've been, I've been sort of talking to people about this and just kind of trying to figure it out. He'll play really well for six games and then he'll just look disinterested. And I, I don't know if it's like a motor fatigue thing at this point. I, I, I don't know. Or if it's just 
something about this season. Yeah. Um, but it's something I notice, and it's his bad games are really bad. Oh, and yeah. I think that's where a Drummond could make a little bit of sense. Because, like, the games where he – I mean, look, like, he, he played well against the Pacers last time. But even, like, the game against the Suns where he comes in and he's, he's like, switching pin downs. You know, I mean, there are these low pin downs, so he doesn't have to go that far away from the basket. But still, you're like, oh, okay. I didn't know I didn't know DJ could do this. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's something that where it would make a little bit of sense. Now, this is a very idealized version of Andre Drummond, and that's where it gets a little murky because as you said, not a great screener. Defensively, I mean, it seems like there's a variety yeah. of opinions. <laughs> it's hard because I thought he actually played probably his best, at least defensively, I thought like his best basketball that he's played um, on that end this year in like the first 20 games with Cleveland, like they had as was, well, I mean, they're 30th in the league now, but they were, they were second in defense, I think in like 19 games in, which tells yep. you how fucking shitty they've been since then to drop all the way to 30. Yep. Um, but Drummond was a huge part of that. Like he was really active. He's got actually really good hands. Like I think he averages over like a steal and a half a game right now and yep. for his career. Um, but he just was, he was he was active he was communicating he knew what he was doing um and it's not jared allen's fault it's actually kobe altman's fault and part of the reason why i don't love front offices but um i think it was three games into jared allen's tenure with the Cavs. kobe altman came out and said that jared allen was their their priority in the offseason was to re-sign jared allen because he's their center of the future right uh can you imagine being andre drummond having the best season of of your career in terms of helping a team win and then the GM comes out and says, yeah, well, this guy we just traded for who we've only seen play three games <laughs> for us is uh, he's our priority, even though Andre Drummond's a free agent. Um, obviously not Kobe's exact words, but may right. as well have been right. That's um, weird. So I think it's 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 a it's a context thing. Like if you can if you can bring Andre in and have him in the right scenario and right setting and he's um, he's comfortable doing it like or not more like he's, he's willing to do it. Not that he's never been like unwilling to do it. Like he's still a good player, but yeah, um, it, it just, it brings up a lot of interesting points. And is it better to have somebody who's a role player that knows their role and does it well, or is it better to have somebody who's maybe uh, not quite in that role player arc, but trying to figure that out still? I don't know. It brings up a lot of interesting questions. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's kind of the fun part I think with this team um, is that there is so much of that, you're, you're kind of bringing guys in and, and I, that's where I think the staff's done a really good job. They've just, it seems like guys know what they need to do. You can even look at how the the three best players are playing. I mean, nobody, there are a lot of people, myself included, that had certain doubts about how that was going to work. Not, not necessarily in terms of it being effective or not, but just the process of it and what it looks like night to night. And it just, they don't, <laughs> they don't miss like it, yeah. it's crazy. So it, it's, I think because of that, you can look at the successes this year, look at the Bruce Browns, look at the way they're working at, you know, Claxton uh, Landry Shamit as well. And just say, yeah, I, I, I think that if there's anything to believe in, it's that they're going to take Andre Drummond and say, here's what we need you to do. Be large, protect the basket, make those plays out of the elbows. Um, and, and just do, do your role this way and, and big things will happen for you. And I, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I hate to be, I'm not usually such a, a, a Nets believer, you know, I'm usually a huge <laughs> pessimist, but this year I just, I can't, I can't find too much flaw outside of a couple of defensive miscues, 
uh, per game. It's, it's, it's kind of boring analysis. (laughs) No, man. I mean, I I understand that things have been working well in, in, in Brooklyn. So I I would agree with that. Um, shifting to a little bit more of the Pacers though, uh, with Karis Levert, uh, I mean, I've really enjoyed watching him so far in the two games he's been back. Uh, obviously looked a little bit rusty. Go figure who would have thought, um, it's, I say that just because I'm a little bit sarcastic. Uh, A lot of people have been like, you know, Oh, he's doing too much, this and that. You know, people on Twitter, uh, always a good time. But what did what did you enjoy the most about Harris in, in Brooklyn, and what are you kind of looking for him to do in Indiana? I want you guys to use him out of the post. I thought that was a really good source of offense. In And look, it's the bubble. He's playing with Dante He was fantastic Hall. in the bubble. He, he was he, really good. I mean, they, they got swept, but every single game was like tooth and nail. Um, I thought that was fantastic. I enjoyed yeah, I, that series a lot, actually. It was the one that was, of course, going out at like one o'clock in the middle yeah. of the day, which was <laughs> awful. Like, that's the one thing I won't miss about the bubble. Like, as much as I loved having basketball the entire day, after three straight weeks of having to devote my entire day to just scheduling out, seeing all these playoff games, yep. I was like, no, I'm over it. Like, I need to I need to actually be able to have a social life. Right. It's oh, so hard to do, like content or anything like that it was that was that was the other part it was like oh yeah uh, like all my articles i'm like i'm kind of rushing this right now because i want to watch (laughs) i have to watch the next game like shit man i'm missing out on everything it was so condensed um yeah no i don't miss that i miss the bubble for certain things definitely not that uh yeah karis is a karis is a fun player and i think what the nets did this year was not maybe the best way it's funny i just said how great the staff was using everybody <laughs> yeah i did not like how karis was used this year with brooklyn just to be completely honest no i don't either um you know i i i just he's never been a guy that's been great off the bench um i just have never felt like it was a winning way to use him and i think that's partially why they were motivated to i mean a it's james harden so you make that trade 10 yeah. times out of 10 uh b i think that's part of the reason why it kind of shifted a little bit. It's like, all right, we're, yeah, let's, let's do this deal. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think with him, like he's a really fun to watch and when he gets going, it's, he's one of those guys, like, it's just like the threes start falling. He's taking in transition. He's got weird mechanics on his jump shot. Um, and that also kind of weirdly makes it more fun because he's got such an interesting, unique game. His deceleration is, is really, really fun. He's so wiry. Um, and, and just able to contort his body in ways that is just unique. And I think that's the best part, um, about him. Has it been a fun season of, of Pacers basketball for you? Uh, yes and no. Like, I think okay. I've really enjoyed seeing some of the new things that are happening and, um, some of the developments like miles Turner has been awesome this year on both ends. Like he's really improved as an offensive player. Um, and he's borderline defensive player of the year this year, the team defense isn't good enough for him to win it, but, yep. um, I think overall, I've just been a little bit frustrated with trying to deal with uh, with outside perspectives on it. Like, okay, uh, so trying to bring levity to what the team is right now because I think it's interesting. I actually had a friend from Atlanta hit me up today and talk about how how much he's loved Nate McMillan in in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and I think it's uh it's a really interesting point to bring up because the Pacers are probably, I mean, other than the Spurs, like the one of the most consistent organizations in our lifetime. Yep. Um, like they've missed the playoffs like f- six times since 2000. Um, and you totally upheave a, 
basically the same staff that's been there for over a decade. I mean, Dan Burke had been the defensive coordinator since I think 2000 or 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, And Popeye Jones has been an assistant since like 2010. Um, I mean, you just have like the, the staff have been there for a really long time and that that aided into player development and everything. Um, And so believe it or not, everything is different this year. There's, it's not the same consistency. Like they've lost a lot of games because they don't have that same, um, approach that they had to games. And I think trying to weigh the uh, looking at, okay, process over results is something that I keep trying to grill. That I think is really important. Like you can see the process through the first three or so quarters, like, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what they're trying to get. It makes sense to me. Um, but then in the fourth quarter, they tend to fall apart. Like last night, oh God, just monumental collapse in the fourth quarter. Part of it can be put on. They had like a really weird delay in getting to Denver, but still it was just rough game in, in the fourth quarter. Right. Um, but point being like that stuff didn't, did not happen over the last three years in Nate McMillan's tenure, just because he was so good at preparing the guys to play regular season games. Right. Um, but I think a lot of people have been frustrated with that. And I like, because they, they look at now and they're so used to winning those games and not, having those kind of collapses. And I mean, like it would still happen, but the games would be like, you know, you lose by a basket instead of losing right. by 15 in the fourth quarter. Um, so it's been interesting looking at that. And I think a lot of people have uh, taken this in sort of the wrong way and looking at it yeah. as a, as a downgrade or like a step down. And I think not that I, I don't want to say that new Nate is better than old Nate just off the bat. I mean, I think both bring different things, but I think it's important to look at things and say, Hey, they're doing things differently to be better in the future and in the postseason, not just for this game right now. And I think that's important. Uh, but again, trying to communicate that to people is difficult. So, well, it's no off season too. I think people yeah. forget that. Like it's, it's really and hard hardly to... any practice. Like I think the team like just had their 10th practice of the year. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like if you have a culture of like doing the same thing over and over, which is like, fine, that's, that's a sustainable method. You switch that up but you switch it in the season where there's no preparation time or anything, you're going through in-game reps of, of what you would be normally doing in, 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 you know, a training camp or something like that. You guys have been done such a good job covering the team. I like, you know, there's, I think with the SB nation blogs, there's a couple I always keep an eye out for um, T- the Timberwolves blog has got some good people yeah, that are doing good. Great. They're, they're really, they got smart people over there. And then you guys, of course, in the mix as well, like, I, I just really enjoyed watching it from afar and learning from afar because it helps my analysis too, even though the nets are going to run like one zone possession every two weeks. Hey, I wish the Pacers was, would only run one zone possession. There is, <laughs> the, the zone is so bad, man. You're going to see. It's pretty bad. Uh, it's just pretty wait, bad. It, just wait, man. So they got eviscerated when they went to zone against Brooklyn in the first game in this game. Uh, like even last night, like it's just a guaranteed they will run zone on uh, on slob plays or anything that's like um, anything that is in their zone. Uh, they will run a zone or not zone. Yep. Anything that's in there on their half of the court, they will run zone out of the possession and without fail, open shot every time. Like I know it's a reductive way of looking at it, but it's true. Like Caitlin's <laughs> written on this so many times. Like they are just so bad on zone possessions especially when it's on sideline on a bound place. Like it's just confusing. Like they'll even with uh, like there was a play against Atlanta where they were running box and one um, out of the uh, out of an out of bounds play. And so 
Aaron Holiday came out onto Trey Young as soon as he inbounded the ball. Yep. And nobody went to the weak side corner, even though, yes, it's you're in box on one, but you can't just leave the weak side open. Stand like, there. DeAndre right Hunter was wide open in the weak side and just got it. I mean, he had like a t- 10 feet, 10 foot gap. So nobody even was able to close out in time. And it's like, why? Like, just, like why run I that to, right I there? I need to understand this more. <laughs> like I get, I, I understand why you're doing what you're doing, but at the same time, like, you can see right now, like you just pause, like, look at it. This is not going to work. Like this yeah. is going to be a wide open shot right off of it. So there have been like things like that that have been confusing. And I think like the team is uh, a little bit too pressure happy in some ways. Like I wish that they would tone it down just like five to 10%. Like guarding Ben Simmons. Yes. <laughs> like going over screens on Ben Simmons, notorious three point <laughs> shooter, especially on pull-ups, Ben Simmons. Ugh. Um yeah, like stuff like that. Like there's a, it feels very much so like work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, like they're going balls to the wall every possession. And sometimes it's like, hey, maybe if you just sit back for five seconds, that'll be better. Like they were the sixth best defense in the league last year by largely playing man to man and just being very conservative. Yep. And I think that they could benefit by applying some of those principles. Um, not all the time, but just in some, some circumstances, I think it makes sense, especially when you sure. have miles on the back end. Um, but overall, I mean, it's hard too. Cause like, like we mentioned with practices and everything, like they, uh, they, they started the year with this, uh, a shortened training camp B like they imagined this team was going to have Victor Oladipo and TJ Warren right from right. the get go. Um, and you don't have that. And then it's like something that I tried weighing and I, I don't have an answer for, you know, I'm, I'm not a coach. Like, do you try and tinker with that and tweak your defense and, and your entire scheme 12 games into the year after you trade Victor Oladipo and then Karis LeVert is obviously out. Um, and then, you know, TJ Warren's out still, like how do you just change that whole system or do you keep trying to run it and hope that you're, you're better for it by the time that they get back and it makes more sense when they get back. And and right now with Karis in it has, has looked uh, better, although he's still, he's been a little out of sorts defensively. Oh yeah. Um, get used to yeah. it. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I, that's what I've heard. And what I've seen a little bit too, uh, when I used to watch Brooklyn, um, but I, th- I think just having a guy with size helps. Um, yes. Overall, but yeah. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he won't help with the lapses in zone. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, his off ball is, uh, there's definitely some, uh, some stuff left to be desired in his off ball defense. I, I think he cost a couple of, a couple of years on uh, Kenny Atkinson's life. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There were last year, there were a couple of points where I was like, Kenny's turning gray by the end of the year. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Um, but no, I, I, it's a, it's interesting to watch from, um, from the outside looking in. I do kind of feel like that Nate is just sort of setting a precedent for what it's going to look like. You know, even at the beginning of the year, I talked to Caitlin about this. Um, I don't know if they're, they're running a Raptors scheme with non Raptors personnel. Yeah that part didn't really add up. So I do wonder if it's just, we're going to establish this baseline of what we like to do and the, the things we like to do on defense. And we're eventually over time going to accumulate the pieces that we need to make that work. I do kind of wonder if it's a situation like that. Yeah. That's what I've thought too. I mean, it like, you're talking about like with the Raptors, they have like, it feels like every guy who's six foot seven, not named Rondé Hollis Jefferson yeah. is on their team. <laughs> and I still can't believe that that man has not been signed. Somebody signed Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I thought the He's Nets good. needed him. I was I, like, Hey, the Nets could use him. Honestly, Pacers could yep. use him. They're not going to sign him. But um, 
no, he should be on a roster somewhere. Uh, but point being, like they have like Stanley Johnson, Yuta Watanabe, who I, I yep. love watching Yuta Watanabe. I know defense. Um, but they just have so many guys who are long and athletic that can close out and uh, cover ground quickly. And the Pacers just don't have that. Like Doug McDermott is six foot seven, but he's not like physically, like athletically on court. He does not play like a guy like who right. who, who you envision. Like. Um, he's been very much so not great in this defensive scheme. And he's not good in any defensive scheme, really. It's not that he doesn't try. He just has he has short arms. He's not strong, and he's not laterally quick either. So that's a recipe for disaster. Um, but like you're Would asking, you bring him back. Oh, no, you on the spot. We, we can get to that on a minute in, in a minute. But like you're asking <laughs> T.J. McConnell and Aaron Holiday to to close out to the corners instead of St- Stanley Johnson or Pascal Siakam. Like that's a big difference. And I think like you're saying, like you 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 totally notice. Um, the difference in personnel when that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, that's something that I've really been trying to think about in terms of what's going to happen with Doug and uh, the free agency class in general for the Pacers, because they're very close to the luxury tax threshold. I think they're only four mil away right now. Um, it's right around there. Uh, Doug McDermott is, pr- I've been wrestling with this in my mind. Part of it is difficult because he is not shot as well from three as he normally does. Like mm-hmm. probably his worst three point shooting year since his rookie season. But at the same time, like have, there's the baseline of Doug McDermott is an elite movement shooter who can shoot yep. 40% from deep. And now he's added a ton in terms of putting the ball on the deck and getting to the rim. I think he's more likely to get close to what Joe Harris got than to be an MLE guy. Um, and I obviously I don't have any like reporting on that. Like I have no Man. idea what teams are going to offer him, but I think he's probably like, if he got just the MLE, I'd be a little bit surprised. Like I think, Oh yeah. Um, just in terms of the premium of, of guys who have size that can shoot. Like, I mean, he's not as good of a defender as Joe Harris. Like he's definitely a liability where Joe Harris can be a neutral on defense. Um, but I think a lot of teams would be very happy to bring Doug McDermott in, especially too. you look at like this free agency class has gotten a lot worse um as the season's gone on and, and more guys are signing extensions um so i don't know like i personally right now i think he's probably like a three for like 40 player something like that maybe three for 30 but that's still like that's full mle and the pacers have to a are they going to re-sign tj mcconnell i think so uh given i hope so and he's been to what they do but he has actually looked really bad since the all-star break and with uh, <laughs> the way that his role is changing up it's a little different for him um but then also like the next year is TJ Warren's extension uh, comes up because he's extension eligible this summer, but right. only like given his deal, I think the max they can offer him is like 15 million in the first year. And TJ Warren is going to be close to $100 million player if he's back fully healthy. Um, so I have tricky I have no idea what's going to happen with Doug. Like he could get traded very well. I, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if they're going to make something happen, it would probably be that. Um, also, I mean, Jeremy Lamb is like, Jeremy Lamb has been, really rough and he's injured right now too but um he's been close to the worst defender in the nba it's it's not and i i, I it's not a hyperbole like i don't know how much you've seen of uh jeremy lamb on closeouts or, or trying to I defend have. it's i uh, think in the nets game i believe it's bad. i believe it's so bad man yeah like it's really rough to see um and his offense has fallen off a little bit so it, i mean he was like just in he was the, the one 50, 50, 90 guy you totally expected to have happen. Um, and that's, I, I, I don't know. There's, there are a lot of questions I have about what the roster is going to look like next year uh, deeper in the rotation, because it, like you're mentioning, like they have uh, 
the majority, like like seventy percent of their their money is already tied up in guys long term. It the the rest of it is going to go to TJ Warren and a and a guy on the bench, and I have no idea who that's going to be because I think they they're definitely going to prioritize TJ over anything because he's six foot eight and he can score from anywhere and he can play right average to slightly above average defense. So um, I don't know. It's a good question. That's my really long winded answer. I, I'm not entirely sure. I do wonder if it's with how much change is going on because it's such a, there's so much complexity to what the paces are doing and the mistakes that are being made on defense. I do wonder if like, cause at the end of the game, at the end of the day, this is, a, it's a little bit of like, a, there's some psychology in it. So yeah. If you're making all those mistakes, I wonder if that plays into, you know, I'm not making that shot on the other side that I normally make. Um, I, I I just always get curious about that. Maybe that I went to school for psychology, so maybe that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's I always a, think that's interesting. interesting. Like I always look at like even last night the Pacers bench was fantastic to start, um, but they couldn't hit shit offensively after right. about two minutes of being in, and it totally seeps into defense. Like. Um, the, the best way to have a good defense is to have a, a, at least a, a, a semi-decent offense. Cause if you're just, if you can't score, it makes it a lot easier for the other team to score. Cause a, they're going to have more possessions, uh, or just better possessions, better looks probably. So, um, it feeds into it. And it's a good point to bring up. I don't know. Maybe that impacts Doug, like his shooting splits have still been super weird with home and away, uh, in terms of mm. Indiana. Like I'm, I'm sure that's weird. Yeah. It's very weird. Um, but I, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I'm not sure that they're going to move anybody by the deadline just because, I mean, they've talked about how they really want to see everyone together for a playoff series. But at the same time, it uh, the money's adding up and you have to you have to make a yep. move at some point. So it, would, would you rather sign Doug this offseason or would you rather try and trade him for something now? But I, I don't even know what they would get back for him. So I don't know. Yeah, they're interesting. I, I uh, Do you think they're going to be sellers, buyers, or are they just going to kind of – I think just Stay given that they already made the old depot trade, um, mm. I'm less leaning towards they'll make another move. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't, I don't know. I, I think I've learned to be like very much so less definitive on things because I have yeah. just not that I'm going to get aggregated or anything, uh, but I, I'm just very uh, I, I'm so unsure about what's going to happen because things can change so quickly. Like I, I didn't think that Victor was going to be with the team the whole year. I was, uh, I mean, I figured he was either going to be traded by the deadline or, or sign an extension, which, I mean, those were the, really the only two options. Um, but I did not expect him to get traded 12 games into the year. Like, that took me completely by surprise. Um, so it's Yeah. Been, yeah. I'm sure it took you by surprise, too. Like, I mean, like, just given the timing of it, like, I'm sure you were under the impression that Karras or Spencer was going to get traded. Um, just given – I mean, with how much stuff was swirling, um, like – it was at the point like, yeah, something's going to happen. I just don't know when. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's funny that that whole thing, <laughs> I, I heard loosely about the Harden trade through a player that is now on the nets who was not on the nets at that point. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was a weird year. <laughs> it's, I knew this year was going to be crazy in a lot of ways because I was just kind of like, hmm, I, I think this is, I think this is not going to be how the roster looks, especially you watch them like the first couple of games. It was just so weird. It, it, it worked in certain instances and then in other instances it didn't. Yeah. And I think that for them, like Harden has been exactly what they need. And 
it, it just feels like there is a vision since the very beginning. Did I think the Harden trade was going to happen 12 games in? Absolutely not. I just sort of was like, I guess it's going to happen in the off season. It's just rare, like to get big trades like that. In the oh middle yeah. Of the season. Like it's that just... early on was just, that was wild. Like that's yeah. the kind of stuff that happens at the draft. Like I, I wasn't definitely unprepared for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I'm i uh, I'm excited to see this game. La- last minute prediction. Who would you, uh, who would you take? I, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm putting my money on Brooklyn. Uh, I'm very hopeful for a good, uh, good, good game for the Pacers. Uh, Karis have a good, hopefully his best game so far uh, against Brooklyn. Like he's been good, but um, I don't know. It, it should be a good game regardless. Hopefully better than the last one. Yeah. Uh, boy, I don't know. I feel like the Nets are, are due. I, I, I think that, they played a lot harder than everybody on the Nets world is thinks that everybody said, Oh, well, for one team, this was the championship. The other, it was just game 40. I'm like, no, no, man. I feel like the Nets played pretty hard yesterday. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of an emotional game. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is closer. I still think I'm going to pick the Nets just because they have this, and it's not even becoming a bad habit necessarily, but they just have this end of game you know, give it to James Harden, let him run some inverted pick and rolls with Joe Harris or Landry Shamit or whoever, Jeff Green, um, and then let Kyrie Irving just do what Kyrie Irving does. It's a, it's a pretty tough method to bet against. So I would pick the Nets, but I do think it's going to be a closer game than last time. Um, I'm curious to see if the Nets go under as many screens. Um, that's something that, fittingly enough, you, you actually would want to do against Karras. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious about that. Actually, let me ask you about the unders. Were, were the Nets the first team to do that? Or, or was there a team that did that a little bit? Oh, earlier? there was a whole stretch of teams that started doing that. Um, yeah. And it just became a trend. And luckily Malcolm has been like lights out since, since the break ended. And it's been helpful too, because he's actually getting stuff uh, like just catch and shoot opportunities. Right. Um, but he's been, he, I mean, I think it was against the Lakers. He took some stuff uh off dribble going to his left which is not normally his vibe um yep. so it was good to see him hitting some of those um he's just looked good and refreshed like he needed it he's been absolutely running to the ground uh, or i shouldn't say it like that but i mean in a way he's like I it's think a lot of minutes in, 12 <laughs> minutes played for a guy who's often injured so it is a it's been a little bit of gritting teeth every time that i see him go up over like 31 or 32 minutes i'm like oh all right yep. malcolm yep uh, let's see what happens here i hope that uh that you don't get too gassed out by the end of the game. Cause it's not actually, it's not as bad for Domas. Like his fourth quarter numbers are fine. Like they're pretty much the same right. as the rest of his, but Malcolm has like a pretty steep drop in the fourth quarter. Mm, and a lot of that too. I mean, he's taking the hardest shots, so it makes sense. But at the same time, like he just gasses out so much and it's not right. his fault. Like if you play 38 minutes, no shit, you're going to be gassed out. Like, yeah. Especially the brand of basketball that they play, like with how much pressure they put on. It's not like you're just standing around on defense. So it's exhausting to watch. I can't imagine playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point, man. Well, Matt, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time to everyone listening. Of course, thank you for listening. Matt, where can people find you at? And or do you have anything fun in the works that you want people to know about? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I have uh, Joe Harris column that I need to write desperately so I can get it off my, <laughs> my chest. Yeah. Um, so I'll be doing that this week. I'm doing video work a lot this year, um, which is a big change for me, but it's been fun. Um, so these are more edited play by play, whatever you oh, want to cool. call them, videos, um, breakdowns like that. You can find it all Matt Brooks NBA. I'm good about sharing everything um, on Twitter as you should be. Yep. <laughs> What's the point in creating these things if you're not sharing them? So you can find everything there. 
Um, and yeah, it's appreciate you guys for listening and thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course, man. Anytime uh, to, to everyone listening, go follow Matt at Matt Brooks NBA on Twitter and just have a good rest of your day. It should hopefully be a good game. Uh, remember, keep the faith just because the teams look a little bit under 500 does not mean that they're uh, they're tanking or trying to get Cade. Uh, <laughs> things will work out one way or another. I'll talk to you later, Matt. Have a good one, man.